Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. They know the ins and outs of everywhere we're going. They will protect you. Horses, run! And they just like, <laughs> block. I was like, what? <laughs> I feel like I got a great break on a used car. <laughs> I, I, I thought that, was, I, that was a great, great quote. <laughs> this is war, Marcus. He's going to the bathroom. Are you in his house, you little psycho? <laughs> Get the f- get out of there! Look, it's a giant womb. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler, and you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run, we'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. It's actually 170 now. Ooh. I believe the last, this is episode five of, is this our fifth episode, Butler? Of this of season? 13, I believe so. Then actually, no, it is not. It's the sixth episode. The last episode we did. So last week's episode, The Big Chill, was number 175. So we have done 175 films. Oh, yeah. Um, and the list just keeps on growing. So I take, yeah. So I believe we've done, yeah, we have done one. We've done 175 films. But then that means that we don't have, we're over that because we did a couple bonus episodes. We did. So, yeah, well, I'd have to go check that out. I'll have to go count that down. So what's going on? Uh, nothing much. Just found a new puppy in a garbage can. And it turns out uh, I live in a crapple. <laughs> Welcome to Brooklyn. <laughs> That's right. We are doing the drop this week. And Butler's going to give you some synopsis. Uh, oh, will I? You assume too much. And then I will give you facts and then we'll get into it. So take it away. Bob Saganowski, Tom Hardy, tends bar in his cousin's pub and looks the other way when local mobsters use the joint as a temporary bank. His simple life takes a complicated turn when he finds a battered puppy. He asks his neighbor, Nadja, not really his neighbor, but okay, knew me a rapper face. For Everyone's everyone's neighbor in Brooklyn. That's true. And a mutual attraction sparks between them. However, a robbery at the bar and the return of Nadja's abusive ex force Bob to face the truth about those he thinks he knows best, including himself. <laughs> This is the drop. No, that, that, that's not part of it. <laughs> All right. The drop has a runtime of 106 minutes. It's rated R. Production budget of $12.6 million. It came out on Friday, uh, September 12th, 2014. It's opening weekend. It did 4.1 million. Domestic total, it did 10.7. And then worldwide, 18.6. So a mild hit, but not probably not really. Production company was TSG Entertainment and Shernan Entertainment. And distributed by Fox Searchlight Pictures. So I said it came out on the 12th of September. It went up against in a wide release, Dolphin Tale 2, Butler's favorite. Ooh, and second no, one. And No Good Deed. And also in a limited release, Atlas Shrugged. Who is John Galt? And the Skeleton Twins. Uh, the week after the 17th, you had a limited release. Well, I'm sorry. The week after is the 19th, but the 17th was a Wednesday. You had a limited release of The Guest, which is a horror film. And then the 19th, you had a wide release of The Maze Runner. This is where I leave you and a walk among the tombstones. One that Butler wants to do on the podcast. I do, I do remember liking it. And then I forgot about it and I want to go back to it, which makes it the perfect candidate. 
There you go. It could be bad. You also had a limited release of the Zero Theorem. And then the week before, November 5th, you had a wide release of the Identical. So the the obviously we've talked about September being the dump month or the month when you don't have a lot of great stuff coming out. Yeah, I know studios I, don't know what to do right. with what they got. I've actually heard good things about the guest. I've never seen it. And I actually liked this is where I leave you. But um, so, you know, the guest is okay. What was the, um, the identical? I don't know that one. Oh, the identical is. I'm going to confuse it because I don't think it's what I think it is. It's not the one about the Hussein's kid. Um, no, that's good. No, that's, that's not that one. It's uh, the identical is like with, yeah, it's about twin brothers who are unknowingly separated at birth. One of them becomes an iconic rock and roll star while the other struggles. Is this, the, is this that show on uh, NBC? Yeah, no, that's him looking at different lives. Yeah, that's, <laughs> what is that show? Because that show, I'm going to tell you right now, that show looks like garbage. I don't remember the name of that show, but it's three different lives he could have taken. Yeah. This is the one with the Elvis ripoff. It's like semi-religious, I think. Ray Liotta, Ashley Judd, Seth Green. I remember the trailers for this. I have to look up this with this ordinary Joe. I recall this. that I have not seen. I'm gonna tell you right now. I've not seen anything about ordinary Joe. I've not watched anything. I've just watched the trailers and and the and the promos for it, and it's garbage. It it's looks a typical NBC show. I know, but I just I, NBC promos bother me because they're so sappy and so melodramatic, and it just well, makes me not want to watch the show. Wait for the sequel to Quantum Leap, which is coming to NBC. Uh, they've this already, fall. They they um they greenlit. They it. did. I'm not excited about that. I'm 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 not excited at all. Am I gonna watch it? Maybe. Of course. Eh, I don't know, man. I don't Listen, know. I as can't. much as I hate it, and I saw like I read the summary for nah, that, and I was like, I can't. I, I just feel it. like I'm betraying my youth. All right. You can't not watch it. Wait, we're not we're talking about the drop. Let's move on. <laughs> so this film is directed by um I think it, Michael Roscom or Michael Roscom. Yep. He's done the TV show Berlin Station, uh, and he's also done the movie Racer and the Jailbird. Written by Dennis Lehan, who is based on a short story of his that he wrote for Boston Noir, which is a collection. He did. It's called Animal Rescue. I tried to ca- I tried to read it in enough time, but it's not that long, so I wanted to kind of read it and see. Animal Rescue would have been a good title for this movie. Maybe. But I get why you call it the Drop instead. But yeah. I think Animal Rescue would have worked. Obviously, uh, Lehan is, a, is obviously a famous writer, famous novelist, but he's also written for episodes for The Wire, TV show The Wire, and the TV show The Outsider. Uh, cinematography by Nicholas Karakatsinis. I believe I said that right. He is uh, he has done work on The Loft, Triple Nine, I Tanya, and Cruella. Two composers. You had Marco Beltrami. Oh, and Rafe Kunin. Albatrami has uh, been nominated for two Oscars, one for 310 to Yuma. That was the 2007 one, obviously. That episode? We did. He also was nominated for The Hurt Locker. He did Deep Water. And Terminator uh, 3. Yes. Which I still say is a very uh, underrated soundtrack. I don't know what it is about that soundtrack, but I really think that's a great score. Oh, when you're when you're basing it on the original soundtrack, sure, it's fantastic. Well, it doesn't hold water to the original theme. True. But the, like the score is really, really good. Okay. Rafe Kunin has also has done the other composer, has done uh, the 2019 movie The Room, Bastard, and The Spy. Edited by Christoph, Christopher Tellefson, who's uh, been nominated for an Oscar for Moneyball. He's also done Flirting with Disaster and The Village, just to name a few. Produced by Peter Shernan and Dylan Clark. Shernan has done has been nominated for an Oscar for Ford versus Ferrari and Hidden Figures. They were both Best Picture nods. And he has produced the Fear Street trilogy, which I've talked about before because I believe he has come up in other movies. And again, I'm going to say you should check out Fear Street Butler. It's not that bad. I do want to watch Fear Street. It looks goosebumpsy. It's good. It's a little bit more scary. Right. But yes. Yeah. Uh, Clark has produced the TV show The Wilds, which I believe his second season just started. He's also done The Batman and Oblivion, which is an episode we did this season, to name a few. All right. Tom Hardy plays as Bob uh, Bob Saganaski, as uh, Butler said. 
He's nominated for an Oscar for The Revenant. He was also in Mad Max, Fury Road, and Dunkirk, and a bunch of other movies. Uh, Numi Rapace is, plays Nadia, or Nasha, as Butler was trying to say. Uh, she is the original Elizabeth Sal- uh, Salander in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. She's also in Prometheus and the horror movie Lamb, which I am scared to see. <laughs> <laughs> James Gandolfini as Cousin Marv. This is his last film before he passed away. He actually passed away a month after they shot this film, which mm-hmm. is pretty sad. You should know him from TV show The Sopranos. Uh, he's also in a civil action, Get Shorty, and True Romance. I love him in Get Shorty. That that scene that he first appears in. Yeah, when he talks with John Travolta is awesome. <laughs> you uh, you're a stuntman? Yeah, yeah. I've done a couple of balls. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, Matthias Schonarts uh, plays Eric Deeds. He's in The Danish Girl, Red Sparrow, and The Mustang. John Ortiz plays Detective Torres. He's from Carlito's Way, the Miami Vice movie that we covered, Butler, and Fast and Furious, which I do not know which one that is. Michael Aronoff is Chalkoff. Chovka, excuse me, in the TV show The First Lady, which is out right now, and the TV show The Americans. And then Morgan Spector is Andre. These are the two uh, Chechen uh, Chechen mobsters. Yeah, Uh, He's in the TV show The Gilded Age and the TV show The Mist. So not a big cast. There's some probably faces here and there that you probably would notice, but not enough to get into the cast list here, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you see this before? No, I remember being in the theater for like a week. It came and went real quick. I saw this in the theater um, and I, I actually liked it. Uh, and and I still have some affinity for it. I have some questions, but I still I, I like it. What did you think of this movie? It's okay. It all leads into its ending. I would really like to read the short story. I think it would have done better as a short film. I think it drags a little bit, but I think it's good. I think, like you said, I got some questions about it as well. Um, some things that just kind of like, all right, you're trying to make this short story into a bigger movie. And I feel like they didn't do a good job filling in gaps, mm-hmm. but the story itself is good. The way it resolves, I really enjoy. I really enjoy the last little bit of it. It's just that it's a shorter movie, but it feels too long. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know if you could cut it shorter and still call it a movie. So like, eh, maybe it would have been better as a TV episode on HBO where you follow maybe Ortiz a little bit more as opposed to everybody else and make it an hour drama. But I don't know. Well, Ortiz has that line at the end of the film, which I kind of like. Or excuse me, which Torres. Detective Torres. I, I did quote it because it was, it was you know, one, one of the lines I really enjoyed this film was, no one ever sees you come and do they, Bob? And it's a great line. But my question is, I don't understand how Detective Ortiz thinks that could suspect Bob of being involved. You never in, know because you don't know anything that's in that file. It's like a MacGuffin. Right. It's just like, read this file. Oh, my God. What does that tell you? That he... He did them committed the murder, which is a big spoiler. Uh, he just says, yeah, that's which is a big reveal at the end because um, uh, Deeds is the one who always says that, oh, I killed uh, Waylon. Well, yeah, Waylon. yeah, I'm trying to remember what, what was his uh, what was his nickname? Party Boy or no? Oh, something like that. Uh, what was his nickname? It had to do a basketball. I remember it was Richie, Richie Waylon was re- regardless. Name. Yeah, Richie Waylon, like he, he claimed that he killed them, but obviously. You find out at the end who really killed him. Yeah. And they kind of, they don't really, there's not a lot of hinting at that. Yeah. They do cut. So the idea is that, you know, he, you, you kind of get the idea that the deeds character who played by Sean arts, uh, is, is dangerous. You're supposed to, you know, he's, he's dangerous. He's He's a dangerous trouble. trouble. Yeah. 
And so you don't, and I think the idea is that you don't know what Bob's going to do, what Bob's going to do. And, and the whole idea that you think he's dangerous is because Deeds says that he came out and killed Waylon. He killed, he, you know, he right. was the one who killed him, but you find out he wasn't, it was actually Bob and Bob reveals that at the end. And, and which is, I, I actually like how the ending plays out. No, so do I. I think the ending's fantastic. Right. And, but. So it's, but they don't ever, they only have that, you only get like hints of it where like Bob won't take communion at church. Because he's obviously committed a crime. Because he's obviously somebody who, he's got demons in death, but you just think that something's, you know, whatever it is, you don't know yet. You could assume that it's because he takes money from the mob. You right. don't exactly know what he's refusing his penance for, right? Right. You get a shot of the oil tank one time, then you get a shot of it with Bob next to the oil tank petting the dog, and then when Bob reveals what happened to Richie? It just shows the it, it just shows the things. You, you know yeah. there's somebody in there now, right? You know that somebody is in there, basically becoming oil, dissolving, and all that. I'm wondering with a different type of director, because I'm just imagining like you would see constant shots of the oil oil tank. You know what oh, I mean? That would be obnoxious. But that's what yeah. I'm saying. That's what almost is the expectation because there's that is. That whatever's inside, whoever's inside the oil tank is critical to understanding why the ending is the ending. I don't like that. Well, yeah, I get that. But I like the way this is handled where obviously through the uh, oil tank a couple times for anybody who is rewatching a second time to go. Ooh, <laughs> but I don't need a sixth sense thing where I'm getting hints the whole time. I like that. It just comes out of nowhere like, oh, man, what? I think that's great because I think that's the big payoff in the movie. I think the first time in the movie for me. Where I, cause I, I'm trying to remember me watching it the first time and you never really get the sense that you don't know what Bob's going to do. You don't know what Bob's going to do. You don't know how he's going to overcome this problem that Eric Deeds is presenting. Right. You know, that Bob has into or knows that cousin Marv is up to something. Cousin Marv was res- responsible for the original robbery and was going to be responsible for the second robbery because right. cousin Marv's plan was that he has these two dudes rob the place when it's just a regular night. Then, then he figures that the safest bar that's going to be the drop bar, because the whole idea of the drop bar is there's one bar in, in that's picked at random that you don't know that's going to be the drop for all the money that's coming into the to the mob, right. and then the mob's going to pick it up at the, end of the, at the at late night. So you never know when that bar is the drop bar, but every so they become the drop bar because cousin Marv is like, well, what bar is the safest after it's been robbed once? It's the that bar, bar. Rob, right? So that's why he figures that the Super Bowl Sunday they're going to be the drop bar, and then he's going to take it for all he it, he's got, and he's going to move on. But his plane gets screwed up and and went up. But Bob is clued into that; he knows that that's what's happening. Right? Bob's a lot smarter than he ever lets. Right? Him. And then cousin Marv has these two guys that end up getting caught, and he ends up uh, he kills one of them too because he wants to sh- shut their mouth. And cousin Marv gets Eric Dees to do it with him. He's like, "Listen, right. I need you to do this," and. When he calls D's on the phone and D's tells him, I'm here, I'm just waiting. He's like, what are you doing then? And Cousin Marv tells him. Oh, I like that line. Yeah. He's like, you don't know. Don't what mess with Bob. Don't you don't know what he's capable of. As soon as Cousin Marv says that, I that was the same thing. first yeah. time in the movie. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was good too. I, I like that. I know what you think he is, but he's not. Right. Right. Because yep. he knows the truth. And it's funny because the whole movie, Cousin Marv is, you know. Like he's in charge, like he can bosses them around, bosses them around, but only to a point, right? But only to a point because he never pushes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's always like a big brother or like kind of like uncle to him, but never like to the point where he's going to like really abuse that power. Right. But you also kind of get the idea too, like that there's more than Bob lets on when he tells Numi Rappapace's character, um, when he tells Nadja, he's like, we ran an outfit when I was younger. 
And it's like, we did some stuff. Yeah, we stopped. He, we stopped because Cousin Marv bit off like something More like he, he said he was going to do something. He, he backed did down. time, right? Because I thought he did time and then they kind of backed off on it. I thought he no, did time at one point. I thought it was that they were but they're puffing out their chest because they were like, they came in, they were puffing out oh, their chest. Oh, yeah, they really and then, weren't. They got beat down by the And mom. they got beat down and, cu- and Cousin right. Marv had to just acquiesce and it was just kind of like, okay, oh, that's what okay. okay. He, he tried it and they kind of failed, yeah. Because that's what I thought. But at the beginning of the movie, I thought he said Marv did time for a little bit. Maybe. I didn't catch okay. it. But I wouldn't be surprised. What did you think of, because there's moments in this movie where there's little hints of other storylines. And they don't ever really go, go down there. I mean, I don't I, like, for instance, cousin Marv and his sister, the whole like them living together. That whole process. See, this is like the it's padding it out to be too long. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't mind it. I didn't need it. Marv is Marv. You you can't. The way Marv acts around Bob is all I need. If he's nice to Marv, Bob, he's nice to Bob. I don't care how he is with his sister mm-hmm. or that he's got whoever it is who's uh, it's their father. Well, you have to well, you have to get an idea of why he's doing this. He needs the he money. He wants to get out of there. He's got a show. Yeah, life. he wants he okay. wants to leave. Or or you initially think that he wants to take care of his father, but it's not because he wants to bust to get out of town and he get, wants to get, him out, of get town, out of town. Yeah. But he doesn't want to kill his father, right? Because he still thinks his father is alive somewhere in his brain, and his sister's like, "Well, fine, I'll just die here then too." Yeah. Um, and then the whole thing with Detective Taurus tracking them down, his whole thing, like that was kind of his thing's okay because you kind of yeah. need that in mixed in with Bob. That's what I'm saying. If you did it as an hour long episode of a show, like if Law and Order was on HBO, you could do this story and focus more on Torres and Bob kind of split. Okay. But this, I don't think this is appropriate for NBC or CBS mm-hmm. to do it correctly. But I, I like the Torres angle, but it's just, it all just seems like padding out Bob's story. Right. And and the other couple of things I wanted to bring up was the, the guys that go to the bar when Torres, which is part of the Torres story when he goes and interviews that guy. I, that's got one of my best lines in the Cousin Mars place. That's my bar. Don't fuck with yeah, my don't bar. Don't fuck with my bar. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know, they kind of, he's like, you got, you got me out here talking, looking like a snitch in front of my boys out here. It's like, well, we never see the boys. So it's like, there's a little aspect there. Yep. Uh, Nadja's uh, backstory of the potato peeler and how she was in a bad place with Sean Arts. You don't really, yep. not Sean Arts, well, Eric Deeds. It's just kind of like introduced and then we don't ever follow it. Yes. So there's a lot of little stuff like that. And I understand what you're saying that it's not their story. It's Bob's story. It's Bob dealing with navigating this kind of path that Cousin Marv is creating for him mm-hmm. and trying to find his way out of that. Um, but we haven't even talked about the dog. And this whole movie's called the whole movie's based on a screenplay called uh, based on the short story Animal Rescue. How do you think the dog fits into this? The dog is Bob's redemption. The dog is a child for Bob to take care of. The dog is Bob caring about something. Caring about something. He's in a terror. Like he kills Richie Whalen. He feels real bad about it, but he did it. It was what they did back then. Right. He doesn't want to do it again. And well, he, he did it because Cousin Eric Marv did. kind of was like, "We got to do this. We Let's do, do it. it." Yeah, and he's good at. Well, that's the thing too. I also think, but I also equate that with him being influenced by cousin Marv, not realizing what, realizing what they were doing was wrong, but now knowing that that was wrong. That, that was wrong, that. but it's right. what he's forced to do. And right. like, he's sad about it. He's like, I'm alone. Like he makes him say it, mm-hmm. but Rocco gives him a chance like to care about somebody, take care of somebody. Someone else has been dumped on the mean streets of Brooklyn. Someone else has been beaten up and just left for dead. Mm-hmm. And he can take care of this dog and, and raise it back up and, you know, care for something. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Marv's crafted Bob kind of like to a point, like you said, but 
like the puppy represents Bob's redemption. And maybe the whole point is also I can see Bob being an animal and they're both animals that need to be, you know, Mm -hmm. taken care of. But, you know, I I like the dog aspect of it. It gives Bob a humanity that you kind of need because he is kind of. You don't know if he's like mentally challenged or if he's just kind of closed off from the world. But Bob's very tough to get into him. It's the, the puppy is a way for us to connect with Bob easier as everyday people. I'm wondering if the filmmakers were intentionally trying to mislead you into thinking that maybe he had a mental difficulties or that's just our baggage watching the film. Cause that's the expectation just because of the way, uh, and we'll get to his dialect and all that stuff. Cause I know you want to, yes. we'll get to we'll, um, just the way that he was acting and then the way he yes. was performing. I'm wondering if that's either their, the filmmakers desire, like I said, or our, baggage coming into the movie mm-hmm. I, I don't know the answer to that but i'm just curious if if where that comes from like why we think that because i had that same thought in the beginning when i first saw it but then that immediately has gone away once they start into the show into about the movie. like halfway through yeah you realize yeah. no 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 he's he's got he's got some brains so yeah 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 i i one of my comment is that i say bob isn't a simpleton but someone who is simple you know what i mean like yes that's that was one of that was my comment about him he's not somebody who like has mental difficulties, but he's someone who is just very simple and plain in in terms of decision making, in terms of in terms of like what he does, like he, you what know, he wants, what life. he wants yes. to do. He has some kind of system set up and how he lives his life, and yep. obviously the dog messes that up, but he kind of in, develops that system with the dog. Um, the whole idea, like when they get the arm back from the guy that. Oh, one of the guys uh, that robbed him. One of the guys that robbed him, and he's like just wrapping it up. And cousin Marv's like, just wrapping up like it's a piece of meat. Like you, like it's just kind of like a matter of fact. You get your first hint, right? That he's that doesn't bother him. Yeah, you're doing it like you've done it before, and then he looks at Bob like, oh shit, yeah, oh wait, you have, yeah. (laughs) And that he's then that you know, it's just it. None of that bothers him. He maybe he doesn't want to do it, but he he can handle it if he needs to. Right. It's not that it doesn't bother him. It's right. Well, I don't. He can do it. I'm saying it doesn't like he's not squeamish. Not that it doesn't. Oh, he's definitely his soul. But yeah, yeah, I think it does bother him Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, you even have that at the end when Nadia tells him that, you know, you, these are your people. And he's like, no, these are not my people. These These are not me. But he is because at the end of the movie, that's what's sad is like he's saying all this stuff. And like when you finally see Bob for who he really is, it's like, Bob, you are one of these people. And he's given the bar, he's given a salary now. Yep. And because that's what the guy tells what, uh, Trovka tells him, it's like, you know, I'm going to pay you a salary. It's your bar, you know, and it could, but, but honestly, he's probably going to be Trovka's best guy because he's going to just keep everything. Everything's going to flow he's as gonna usual. going to be like he is. And yeah, no one's going to mess with him. Works, yep. Right. Cause the word's going to, I'm going to tell you right now, the word's going to go out that you go to the Bob's bar. He's going to take care of you. Well, that's the thing is like cousin Marv didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, granted, if I owned a mob run bar, I'd be try to try to get out of it. But if I was in there, I'm not going to not remember things. I'm going to try to treat that guy well because you don't want to get killed. Marv doesn't remember like Bob remembers that he didn't like that specific uh, drink. You might like this instead. I remember you didn't like that last time. Oh, Andre likes uh, Stella. Mm -hmm. Go get him Stella, Marv. Like Bob remembers all this. He knows how to play the game. Yeah. Well, cousin Marv is jaded and bitter. He hates that he's in this life. That's I think that's a part of that where that comes. He just doesn't care. I get that. But like at some point it's like. You're not getting ahead, but you're also going to fall behind. Mm-hmm. So you got to play the game. Mm-hmm. You either play the game or you're dead. So it's it's either or. 
And Bob really knows how to play the game. A <laughs> couple of things I wanted to talk about. Two shots in the movie that I wanted to get your... Um, Ooh, I hope one of them is the, one of the shots I have written down. Well, why don't you go ahead then? Tell no, me. no, after you. After okay. you, honestly. Uh, not, well, the shot in the the shot when after everything happens at the bar the, 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 and the, the night before, the next day shot when, when Bob is in the bar and you see the door open and it's completely out of focus. And then it, the person from the bar walks in and it's Detective Torres. Oh. Well, my what? What's up? I don't like that shot. Well, um, well, hang on. I think why it's out of focus is for this reason because I'm pretty sure they have Nadia's breathing in the shot. I think you're supposed to think that's Nadia coming through. And I want to say that there might be she. They might have done it with her because I think the color of her of his shirt changes as he walks forward. So I think that shot is purposely out of focus because you're hoping that it might be Nadia coming through the door. That's why. Right. Okay. Torres. Yes. Okay. That makes yeah. me not like, not like that shot a little bit. Okay. I thought it was way too out of focus for way too long. Okay. It's like at that point. Well, well that was what struck me too. Like, why is it so out of focus? And then I'm like, that's gotta be a reason there has to. And that's what I came up with. And that, cause I okay. could have swear I heard her breathing. Okay. And stuff like that. That makes so, a little bit more sense. Which yeah. also goes into my second shot that I like, which was the last shot of the movie, which I is like the ending shot. shot. That's a good shot. Because that shot they play. So that shot is Bob goes and says, listen, you can say no. He's walking the dog and he sees Nadja sitting out. He's like, you can say no. I told you, told me to stay away, but I'm going, you know, but if you want well, to, I just wanted to check. Stay away. You never said stay away. Right. Okay. Right. 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 Nope. And you said I, you were leaving. Right. You never said stay away. And I, and if you want me to say stay away, just say it and I'm out of here. And she's, let me get my coat. So then it cuts to a shot of her walking down to go inside her house. You hear the door open. You hear the wind chimes because the door, as the door opens. Then it cuts to Bob sitting there waiting and you just sit there waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's just a shot of him staring and you hear the wind chimes, you hear the door and you hear footsteps. And then for the first time in the entire movie, you see Bob crack a small smile. It's coming right? because he never smiles in the film. He's never kind of happy or content. But at the end of the film, you kind of see it's coming. And I wanted, I like that shot. I'm curious what you thought about that shot. Uh, and also the note that Tom Hardy pushed for an ambiguous ending like I that. I saw that. Yeah. I like that. A, it's it's very Sopranos though. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> With the shot. Cut to black uh, for like uh, the I, shot. But I like that. And I, I noticed the smile too. I like that kind of happy ending for this person who's not really a good guy, but he's not a bad guy. He's an antihero. Yeah. Do you? Like he killed a piece of dirt, trash person. Who should have stayed locked away? Well, you can make a, that dog. Right. He killed. He oh, did kill a oh, good guy. With, he did kill Richie Whalen. Did not deserve to die. But Bob knows that, and Bob was kind of in over his head at the time. So, like, Bob deserves a semi happy ending. I think after watching this movie for an hour and forty five minutes, he deserves a happy <laughs> ending. Uh, so I do kind of like that. It's a little bit of peace for Bob. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a happy ending, but a peace for Bob, which I liked. Okay. What was your shot that you liked? I liked the mirror shot. Uh, in the bar where you see one guy go toward uh, James Gandolfini as, as cousin Marv. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if he's going to like attack him, rob him, but it's a mirror shot. So he's really on the opposite side of the bar mm-hmm. and Marv gets his stuff. And the guy walks out of frame because he walks off the mirror and you realize, Oh, this is a mirror shot. So it's a split shot. Mm-hmm. And you think it's one complete set, but it's actually a mirror and the regular. This is in the beginning toward the beginning. Yeah. Okay. I, didn't I thought that was that. A, good, a really good shot. It's right after the guys talk about, robbing the bar. So you think that's when it's about to happen mm-hmm. and it never does. Did you like how cousin Marv dies? I did. <laughs> I like that. I like that acceptance. Like when he just closes his eyes, he just closes his eyes. His head is, he sees the guy walking behind him. He knows mm-hmm. because he's made. 
Yeah. But it's like, they all know. He knows. Well, it was so sloppy. He wasn't doing anything that no, he wouldn't call attention to himself. Marv is bad at his, at his underground right. job. For mm-hmm. sure. His underground <laughs> job. But that's why they stopped doing it. That's why they didn't do the racket anymore. It's like Marv's not good at it. And even Bob's like, dude, like the stool. That stool used to be my name. Don't you, don't you forget why Millie's in there. I know why you put Millie in that stool. That was my stool. It's like, it didn't matter. Yeah. None of it mattered. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Marv thinks he's way bigger than he ever actually was. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about the dialects. Oh my God. All right. Now my note here, I'm going to, I'm going to read this note to you and you can tell me if you agree or not agree. Okay. So they dialect coach Jerome Butler was hired to create cohesive accents for the accents for the characters. He already was asked to play a straight Brooklyn accent. Uh, Repis was all right. Uh, they were okay with her having a, a small hint of being from somewhere else. Cause obviously right. like she moved to Brooklyn when she was like, a teenager. Was not just a work, right, yeah. right. So that was okay. And then Schoenarts, I guess, loves doing the Brooklyn accent all the time. So he's he really he, good at he, dialects, he, right. Yeah. So he loved, he wanted, he was all good with it and it was no problem. And he was, I guess they're saying he was a natural at it. I know you don't like Hardy's accent. Why? Because uh, he sounds like, he sounds like Eddie Brock. And Eddie Brock sounds like a piece of crap Brooklyn accent. It sounds like he's trying to be Christopher Walken and Al Pacino mixed up with, I don't know, some cartoon character. It, the Eddie Brock accent's not good. This, that. I love Tom Hardy. He's a, a magnificent actor. This accent is garbage. <laughs> it Jeez. is garbage. It's a bad accent. And he does it every time he tries to play a New York guy. That's just not good. It's not good. And I did not like uh, Numi Rapapace's accent either until ha- I actually have a note that said, who is she trying to be? And then it, toward the end of my notes, before I read the actual notes about that same note about her maybe moving around, I was like, oh, her name is name's Nadja. Maybe she did move around. Maybe she is Russian. And I was like, all right, kind of works a little bit. Well, Brooklyn is not, is, is, like is, is a lot that. of time Brooklyn's a mix of people. So it's a but mix of different people from Schoenart's, different cultures. His accent's great. I right. didn't realize he wasn't American until the uh, notes. Yeah. But yeah. Tom Hardy's accent is not good. Well, he, such a cart- I don't, I didn't such have a cartoon character. I didn't have a accent. problem with it. I thought, I thought but Tom Hardy loves that. His accent and Peaky Blinders is also out of this world insane. That's true. <laughs> he also has a, a, a high voice you know he doesn't have a low guttural voice like sean arts has a lower voice than than, right. than hardy so i think maybe that's why sean arts voice lends to the brooklyn accent instead of being high pitched i mean i guess i'm just i'm just maybe know. that might be part of it because i i don't i don't i didn't think it was terrible i thought it was fine i had no i had no my, problem with the accent my I know very first note is are we really gonna have to listen to tom hardy's eddie brock voice for an hour and 45 minutes. Yes. Yes. Walking meets Pacino meets Rocky. I, I, ugh. I don't like that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, I, I did not have a problem. with it. So I also did not have a problem with Hardy adopting a female pit bull puppy while at a rescue center prepping for the role. So I thought that was cool too. No, that was cool. So, I like that. The so dog that, stuff's all, all good with me. Yeah. Uh, so that then he would bring the dog to set. Did you know that Rocco St. Rocco is a 14th century Italian saint? And he's the patron saint of dogs. I did know that. Well, and part that of the now. legend is that the dog brought him food while he was laying sick with the plague. The mm-hmm. plague. So that's kind of where he got that from. Good dog. You know who wouldn't do that? A cat. That <laughs> well, cat's more Egyptian, right? Cleopatra, all that stuff. Neil Berger was actually supposed to direct this, and he did. He did the Illusionist, but he dropped out to do Divergent. I saw that. So he did not. Would Would that even matter to you? Because the director here, um, Roscom didn't really go on to do any other American films. He went back to do German films, right? foreign films. That's fine. Yeah. I think the film was fine. Uh, yeah. But uh, his direction is okay. He's got a nice grid to it. Right. Well, that maybe it works for um, German films. So I 
talked about it in our Run Lola Run film that a lot of German films have this nice grit to them. Mm-hmm. So that might have lended to the uh, really gritty Brooklyn-ness to it. I also like that the movie was very, I don't know if it was filmed entirely in Brooklyn, but never used generic New York scenery, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Well, the cinematography is based on artist George Bellows, and he is known for his depiction of like boxing matches and these good gritty scenes uh, of New York City tenement life. Um, he's in cityscapes, seascapes, war, war scenes, stuff like that. So he's, I think the grit that Fellows puts in his uh, paintings is right. what they used as uh, in for an influence Basis. for the film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, it's shot in Brooklyn. So, and you know it, it looks like Brooklyn. Right. But there's not really a lot of locations, you, you know? So it's really right. not a lot of, uh, it's not a, it's almost, it's not a, touristy brooklyn uh, you know exactly yeah. i didn't need to cut to the brooklyn bridge cut to this park right or that park or or you know any kind of buildings or the skyline it just goes like from that. yeah there are two apartments uh nadia and uh bob bob's apartments the bar marv's the streets the, the park and the pier yeah and then maybe one restaurant scene here and there it's like that's it so it's not really a scene that it's, it's not really just, Hey, it's we're in Brooklyn. It's right. just, you know, it, it's Brooklyn in terms of like, if you know, Brooklyn, I guess, a very personal. Of, kind yeah. Of version. Right. Yeah. Which I'm, I was completely fine with. I yeah. didn't have a problem with that. The whole movie. I was, I was like, if they kill this dog, I'm stopping the watch. I'm not watching this movie anymore. I had ah, to look it up. Yeah. Like half, like quarter of the way when the guy came, when Eddie comes through and goes, it's a nice dog. Oh, I right. Went, I'm going on. IMDb well, right indeed, this yeah, episode's yeah. about to end real quick. If I look it up and the dog dies, I had to look it up. Like, does the dog die and find out? Speaking of the dog, <laughs> I, I do. Do I really believe that Deeds chipped the dog? No, I don't believe any. I think that's fake because mm-hmm. he never really gives it to Bob to really look at. Just shows him the paper. He just goes, look, I got this paper and then puts it back in his pocket. None of it's real. I don't right. believe that any of it's real. I mean, maybe I do believe that that was Deeds dog for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't believe the dog was chipped. Deeds is just a psycho. <laughs> Uh, I think he's just, I don't know if he's psycho, but he's, he's a mess. He's a screw up. Oh no. I think he's got something wrong with him. Cause he goes, I did regret it afterward. Like after he beat the oh. dog by the trash. Like, I think he might not have killed Waylon, but like he's somebody who could eventually kill somebody. What I and definitely beat Nadja made well, her upset. But that's the thing. What I didn't get is if that's what you're trying to go for with deeds, then why didn't you just have him be the one that put the potato peeler to her neck when she was in a bad place. Why was it her doing it to herself? You know what I mean? That I didn't no, understand that, that. Both Bob and Nadia are both messed up. People. Right. I but think that's why I get that. But then, but that could have also added to deeds being somebody who was abusive to Nadia. Cause you never really, you never got that until he shows up and she's afraid of him. She's afraid of everybody. Putting a potato peeler to somebody's neck is a little bit more than just like slightly abusive. But she's clearly somebody. I mean, is she, does she have anxiety or is she really cautious? Because when she first sees Bob, she takes his picture of his photo, of his well, license. I think she's just really cautious. Yeah. Like I was almost going to get like a uh, something might be a little wrong with her psychologically as well. Right. Like Bob at the beginning. Like a Rocky Adrian kind of thing. Well, it's, yeah. she's, got, she's got heavy Adrian vibes. Uh, well, from Rocky, the Adrian Rocky stuff is like I, I like Rocky, but when the way Adrian is portrayed in the first film and the how she what she becomes later oh, on is completely different. different. Yeah. And uh, there is like when you first meet Adrian in Rocky, there's something like she is like shy to the point of there's, there's something, something wrong. wrong. But that's the same with Nadia. It's yeah. like almost that's why I got those Adrian vibes. It's almost like there's something wrong with Nadia, right? 
eh, but but they never really that and that might also be to the point that i was making before we were talking about before where there's all these little threads but they're never really paid off and then like as you said it's right. just uh, more focused on bob and i mean i guess maybe a, a, a bigger story or a story with a episodic kind of uh, storytelling would have kind of pulled on all those threads a little yeah. bit. And also we would have found out if Millie ever paid her bill because clearly she didn't when, when uh, cousin Bob's Marv in the beginning, yeah, Bob's now in charge. Bob ain't well now, but when cousin Marv's like, I wanted to pay her bill. Oh, she no, she pays her tomorrow. bill tonight. She can't come back. Well, what happened? Yeah, that's true. Cause it takes place over the course of like two or three months. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you do never, you never see her again though. We start December 27th and we end Super Bowl Sunday. So that's gotta be middle of March latest. Slow. Well, if it's 2014, it's, it's the first week in March, February. It's the first week in February. So yeah. Super Bowl Sunday is the first week yeah. in February. Yeah. Now it's like the second week in February. So yeah, that was a color was last year. So yes, eight years removed. Oh man. We're old. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't a huge fan. I mean, you said you liked it, but you didn't like it. Would you recommend this to people? Yeah. Why? Most, I, I like the story of Bob. I like the character of Bob as much as I don't like Tom Hardy's accent. Ooh. I think he plays the character really well. And I think the payoff at the end is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think Bob showing who he truly is after he kills Eddie, he's like that son of a bitch. He does this and that. And he was never going to change. He was always going to be this dirtbag and justifying it out loud. And it's not to Nadia. It's to himself. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the big payoff right there. Yeah, that, that, the small hints get leading up to that shoot. 15 minutes before the actual shooting at the end. Don't mess with Bob. I know how he seems, but don't do it. Like Marv knows, and we're starting to get closer and closer to the actual Bob. And then Bob's monologue at the end. It's like, yeah, the middle, it's way too long. But the payoff. The movie itself? The movie itself is a little too long. It, it feels way longer than it should be. But the payoff at the end with Bob is like, yes, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I like that. Well, then what would you say is the strongest aspect of this film the script the cinematography the direction the acting the what something i'm not mentioning what do you think is the best the, the strongest the script script okay. i think the script's the strongest okay i like gandolfini in this role but he's kind of playing a tony soprano well you're never gonna he's, get rid of that he's just it's just kind of like that's what he's trying to be right and so his, his, his dialogue is also very tony soprano it's clear why he was put in this movie was to try to put butts in the seats why he's a, he's yeah, I guess, but so is Hardy's a star at this point, isn't it? Sure. He? Yeah. You have Tom Hardy and Soprano, Tony Soprano together. That's the whole point. Yeah. I think like the, is so a lot of lines are very close to that. Well, he's playing somebody who's from New York. So he's going to have that New York style accent or that New York talk. His frustration with his sister is so is similar to the, yeah, you're going to get there. That's where you get the comparisons to Soprano with the Tony Soprano character. But, I've seen him in other stuff where his natural voice is his natural voice. And it's, you know what I mean? Oh, I get yeah, that. Yeah. Like I get shorty and stuff like right, that. Yeah. Right. But there's, there's a lot of like Tony Soprano type stuff in there where it's like, it's clear why he's put in there. Mm -hmm. So as much as like, it's very sad. He died a month afterward. I'm just saying this isn't like a role that's above and beyond what he's ever done. Mm -hmm. Tom Hardy though, I think is really subdued in this role, which is really nice. Eric is really good. Uh, Sean arts does a really good job. Cause that guy is creepy and scary and weird. <laughs> Not in real life. Up, don't like him. Not in real life. John Ortiz is really good too. Although he plays the same character he always does, mm -hmm. he's a good go-to detective. And some like it's awesome for like 
that's a great thing to be as like a, an actor. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to be that detective. You're always going to come back to me going, I want that detective because you're always going to make well, that he, money. He's the bad guy in Fast and Furious. He is the bad guy. He's the bad guy in Miami Vice. He is. <laughs> but usually he plays cops. Like, sure. Okay. Yes, he's good at Miami Vice as the bad guy. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think I like this movie a little bit more than you do. Um, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with the the problems that you have. That d- doesn't mean they're not yeah, wrong to have those problems. I just don't have those problems. I think this is a very strong sh- movie. It's a very well-told story. It's um, I think the pacing is fine. I think this is one of those movies that we, we were just talking about this before we started the show uh, that you, you, you really want to see more of in the theaters, but more and more you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the I, what you talked about turning this into like an episodic storytelling where it would be uh, on TV. I think that's where this would go because uh, for some reason, when scripts are handed in for features are handed in now, they just want to ex- expand them more and just kind of put right. stuff on streaming. I get it. That's not to say I want this to be a series. No, no, no. This is a one episode. I, spin on Lauren. No, I'm just saying I, I know that the same thoughts that you're having and the same critique and notes that you're having, I, I know that you're not the only one that's having those right. critiques when they watch it. So, Something like this would probably be would probably be uh, very attractive to somebody who's looking for a streaming TV series. Sure. Uh, but that being said, I think this is a, a really nice, tight, well told story, and it's about a certain section of the world, uh, and it just tells its story. and 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 I think it's a good story that you would show film school students or people who love storytelling or love filmmaking because it's got a lot of stuff in there that you can really talk about and really dig into, which we did here a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's a little bit, it's odd that it's a story that's set in the heart of New York City, uh, in America, and your three or four leads are not even English and American. You it's know typical I mean? for movies nowadays. It's fine. But non Americans is American. We can even, we can even go into that about how, uh, you know, I think that when you have people coming in from other countries into America and they become famous because they don't, they're not all cookie cutter acting styles. They're not all, you know, they're not all getting taught the same thing. They are becoming actors in their own way. And, you know, we both like Tom Hardy, but it's because of what he does that separates himself from other people. Oh yeah. It's, you know, yeah. And America's just looking for those pretty boy actors who can yeah. do like nothing, like, right. like models and that's it. They're yeah. CW actors. That's sure. All that's, that's, models. that's what, that's what, yeah. And, and that's fun fact. What you CW get. actors, 95% of the time, not good actors. They're models. So you're telling me I got a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. I mean, as much as I hate it in certain aspects, like you'll never get an American to play foreign roles and like anybody be okay with it. Mm -hmm. But foreigners playing Americans, everyone's 100% okay with it. I just want good acting. I think it's a little hypocritical, but but, but I'm not the guy that make that call. But don't you want good acting at the end of the day? You're the also one that talks about meritocracy. At the end of the day, I don't bring it up often because... They do a good job. Who cares? Right. You just you just have a problem with dialects because that's a big bugaboo with you. Yeah, you gotta at least do the. Dialect. God forbid you're not perfect. Butler will hate you. <laughs> you're supposed to have a dialect coach on set. How they are did that? Jerome Butler? Yeah. Uh, Jerome. You need to call Jerome. Tom Hardy's Butler. not good. Maybe you need to call Jerome it's Butler. It's a cartoon accent, man. Maybe you're missing your calling. Maybe you should be a dialect coach. Ooh. You teach people how to how to talk uh, in certain dialects. There you go, sounds Butler. Fun. Sounds like a fun. Fun gig. Why don't you tell people where they can find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and videos we do. Uh, you can also find us on all of the podcast streaming platforms, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, 
uh Ghana podcast if you're from india we're like that's how far reaching we are we're everywhere check us out rate review and subscribe uh and check us out in the lobby on facebook where we could talk about the films that we've watched have you watched the drop i know it didn't last long in the theater so i doubt you have we recommend you watch it uh and join us next week we're uh checking out a movie from 2002 phone booth with colin farrell i saw maybe 15 minutes of this film and i was like nope pass so this is going to be a good one. Be I picked it, so you're going to hate it. No, oh, here we go. I watched it a couple. I haven't watched you, you, it. You have such like a bitch attitude about these movies. You fucking hate everything I watch. I, no, I just like good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's the Mike Field guarantee. Hello, guys. You said 2004? 2002. Oh, my God, I'm old. Yeah, 20 years ago. 20 oh, years old, the 20th right. anniversary of Phone Booth. Before everybody. I watch this, I'm going to grab my walker, and then I guess we'll watch it. This is a TCM classic, 20th anniversary oh of God, Phone Booth. It feels old now. Yeah. All right. Anyway, yeah, I, I can't. That's, that's next week. So, if you watch this movie and don't like it, will you admit that to yourself or no? Yeah. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. I am Mike Field. I'm Mike Buller. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Hello there. General McMillan. I was expecting a podcaster of your abilities to be a little older. Anders, you're shorter than I expected. No need to be so uncivilized. I'm Anders. That's Colleen. Join us along with our co-hosts, Daniel and Flo, for yet another Star Wars podcast. Because the internet can never have enough nerds talking about Star Wars. This season, we're headed, hopefully briefly, back again to the edges of Tatooine's Dune Sea to explore the new series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll search our feelings for what we know is true, that changing your first name from Obi-Wan to Ben is the most effective cover story in the history of the galaxy. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.